Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Any volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayala trails? And units available in Tamaria near the Kinara for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Eight or seven is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed. Hi, welcome to another episode of uh, Real Life Rescues. I'm Raphael. And I'm Dovia Maisel. And today we're going to talk about, uh, I guess, going back to Ukraine, because um, you just went back to Ukraine. I'll say back from the cold. Back from the cold. Back to the cold. Well, well, now I'm back. That's right. <laughs> from the cold. <laughs> yeah, we went back to the cold, to the big cold, the big chill. Big chill. <laughs> um, yeah, and before we get to how you uh, how you got involved in, in doing some digging over there, um, let's talk about uh, what was the purpose of your trip now? Wow. So it's soon to be a year of the war on Ukraine. And uh, when we started off, and I think we've had podcasts before about this, in February last year, when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, we um, launched our Orange Wings mission, uh, which was a massive operation at the in the first months of the war, uh, providing medical, humanitarian assistance in a, on the borders of Ukraine, plus working inside Ukraine, uh, doing medical evacuations, uh, rescues, etc. And over the year, we've been constantly, uh, um, we actually never stopped the mission. Um, we just um, been on, it's been ongoing. We've been doing flights, rescues, still treating people inside Ukraine with our teams yeah, that are there. A lot of a lot of um, uh, supplies, um, cargo planes, etc. Throughout the year, and now uh, when winter set in and the recent uh, attacks from a couple of months ago on the power plants of Ukraine, so uh, most parts of the country have no electricity for most hours of the day. All right, it's uh, it's. We're talking about uh, not quite blackout conditions because there's usually sunlight during the daytime at least, but basically uh, most places either have no electricity or power whatsoever. Uh, some have no electricity during most of the day and have it for an hour uh, or two hours. Um, and of course, the places where we're discussing, obviously people's homes, but in addition to you also have orphanages, you have schools, medical clinics, yeah, hospitals. We're, we're talking about huge cities and communities that have an average of about two to three hours a day of electricity at the most. The grid is divided up and you can get, you, you don't know what time of the day you'll be receiving that electricity. Temperatures there, it is it is deep winter already. We're talking about sub-zero um, uh, temperatures there. Snow. Celsius and Fahrenheit. Yes, it <laughs> is It is cold. And as opposed to cold in New York or in the States where it's freezing outside, but you walk inside and it's nice and warm, there, it's freezing outside, and you walk inside, and it's nice and cold. Right. It's not quite as freezing if you keep all the windows and doors closed, but there's no electricity or heating yeah. to, to warm and, up the inside of the buildings at all. Our mission was we were uh, um, reached out to by uh, different organizations um, and communities to help support with a power supply, uh, i.e. generators. And in the past month, we've been um, uh, procuring, is yep, the word? Procuring. Procuring. Okay. Um, allocating, sourcing um, generators from uh, from countries in Europe um, and uh, transporting them to Ukraine. Um, they're hard to get now because of the situation. There's a huge demand for generators in Ukraine. It's a, it's a country of 55 million people. And right. it is, the I think, the second largest uh, country in Europe, if you include Russia. 
So uh, just getting our hands on the on the generators was a mission in itself. In itself, and and last week uh, we actually uh, were able to start distributing over a hundred generators um, targeted at um, elderly uh, uh, people's uh, houses and orphanages, schools, um, and and places like that where actually um, spend most of the day with no electricity, no heating, no lighting. And what we understood was that uh, even a small or mid-sized generator can go a very long way because you might think that uh, generators uh, will supply enough for a little tiny radiator. But what we found in our research that we did was that most houses, buildings in, in Ukraine are heated by these gas systems that heat the whole building, but the gas system, uh, the gas system itself needs to work on minimal voltage and needs basic electricity to get that moving. And and this way, one small generator can heat a building of 100 or 200 people. Right. You're thinking like a furnace where the main furnace runs on electricity, and then it uses gas to heat the rest of the building through water and, and gas and pipes throughout the whole rest of the area. Um, so the generator is really effective, especially for, for buildings like schools and orphanages that you were visiting, uh, where you have 500 kids a thousand kids in the building. Was, it was, I mean, going back after the year we spent uh, and the humanitarian work there, um, it was a, an emotional roller coaster. And we're talking generators, but after working on getting generators, which is a very technical thing, connecting it on the other end to the people is is an emotional Wow, I, I I can't even find the words for it. It really took me back to, to the days of the beginning of the war when we were seeing the the refugees pouring over the border. It 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 it, it did not fall behind on on the on the emotional, on the emotional scale. Yeah, yeah. So t- let focus on some of the stories. What were some of the, like the the highlights that I guess were part of the trip? What were some of the things that really I guess the whole trip you said was very emotional? But what were some things that were more affected you? Uh, more than some of the others. Wow. First of all, I think as a um, as someone who's been working in the medical field for so many years, um, we're very connected to people. We treat people all day. We 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 communicate with people, and we we find people in their most vulnerable situations. And and I think that what touched me more than anything was we weren't going to heat a, a high tech centers or supermarkets. Um, walking into an orphanage of 500 children, by the way, just the concept of orphanages there is something that that is not very common in the Western world. We're talking about a country that has hundreds of thousands of children in orphanages. This is something that on a social level is a phenomenon there. Right. And it's, of course, the war has made it much, much worse. Absolutely. But in general, we're talking about a country that, 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 that just has orphanages. These are not kids that their parents passed away. These are just very tough life stories. And, and, and when you walk into these orphanages and you see these kids, some of them are, are great, fantastic, healthy kids. Some of them are, you know, um, disabled to a certain extent. And, and to see the staff members caring for these uh, for these kids, they're their mothers and fathers there, and you see the connection, and you see um, that that our small deed there of, of bringing this generator, you can see the excitement, you can see that when we hook it up there, you, you see suddenly the lights go on, the heating system goes on. These kids, we're talking about hundreds of kids going around in their coats, and you know, like um, 
what do you call these uh, fur, not fur hats, you know? Yeah, fur hats, they're kind of fur hats. Yeah, that, fur hats and, 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 and gloves and mitts, gloves and mitts and, 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 and inside the house. I mean, we all know back home, it gets cold. We turn up the heat and everybody runs run, runs around the house barefoot and uh, and basically in their pajamas in the winter. And here it, it's a whole different story. Very, very powerful. Connect to the kids, to the staff members and and going from one orphanage to another and you see that that it's it's not even some of them are not your typical orphanages some of them are just like um foster families that will grow 30 40 kids in their home for years until they get married or send them off to college and and, and they move on in life and they'll sit down and show you albums of this kid is now a doctor in America this kid is a is an engineer in Brazil and and and, and just to see these people how they care is something that is 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 such a human moment on on a different level. Wow, that sounds uh, that sounds really really inspiring. Um, so uh, you know, amazing amazing work. Um, why why did United Atzala fill this gap? United Atzala, I mean, we're talking about an EMS organization mainly focused in Israel. Yes, we do emergency rescue organization uh, res- emergency rescue missions around the world. But why do why did we feel the importance and the need to go provide generators to orphanages in Ukraine? So I think the simple answer it goes back to a year ago when this whole war started. And we we sent out medical teams, doctors, paramedics, EMTs to open field hospitals on the borders of Ukraine and Moldova. And and there, just as we found out there that it was less of a medical mission, more of a humanitarian mission, more of, of a, a, a human mission of helping people. Um, we understand, we understood then uh, that, that the, our mission has to go beyond the classic medical mission and that helping people in times like this, uh, back then it was providing them with medicine and with food and shelter and he and 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 blankets, and, and 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 as a result of that, we went through the mission through the whole year, providing food and and other supplies to Ukraine. We understood that our mission in United Hatsala goes beyond the tourniquet, the bandage, and even the psychotrauma. It really goes beyond because it, as 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 a human race, I don't I, I don't I don't I don't want to sound cliche, but really as a human race, we need to be there for each other. And and if, at this time, we created these relationships with these communities over the year, and and they they reached out to us and said, "This is really what we need. We cannot source generators here in Ukraine. We we simply can't get our hands on them. This is the imminent need that we have. It's um, we don't have the funds for it. I mean, if regular days on the market, a generator would go for a thousand dollars. Now they're going for three, four, five thousand dollars for a typical generator." And, and they simply couldn't do it because it's either that or buying food for the kids. So we understood that that's part of our mission. And it actually does tie into the medical because if you stay in a, obviously we all know is if you stay in a cold environment, your immune system is compromised and, and yeah, absolutely. you become a lot more sick. And for children and, and other uh, populations where yeah, the elderly already ones, primed, we'll get to yeah. that as well. But yeah, absolutely, it's it, it, it's 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 just as important as providing oxygen to a patient with uh with a shortness of breath. Um, for sure, because especially for children who, who are prone to getting sick, specifically in the winter. I know because I have two of them. They're 
constantly with something. Um, so it's uh, it's definitely something that's incredibly important and can also be uh, life-saving for many in many of these cases. Yeah, the kids, the the elderly community, we were going into, um, uh, first of all, we we're providing some small generators for elderly people's apartments um, because it simply gets so cold, so cold there. And providing a small generator that can supply electricity to the heating systems. They don't even care about the light. Lighting is easy because in lighting, you buy these uh, cheap LED lights and hang them up around the house and, and put one and a half volt uh, uh, AA batteries, batteries them, yeah. and you've got light. But the heating, it is, it, it, it's hard to explain. It really is hard to explain. But providing the heating to these uh, elderly people's apartments and uh, their, uh, and some of them, because of their, um, because of the situation in their homes, they go out to these uh, like uh, daycare community centers for the elderly community and they just spend all their days together there and sometimes they even sleep there at night just to keep warm. So going into these places, bringing light, bringing heat into these places was the most uplifting. I mean, I thought, honestly, I thought we were helping them. But the, the, the feeling that we got going back, I didn't need a plane to fly home. It was really, we were on cloud nine. It was unbelievable. The, what, what the small things that we could do as, as a human race, as a people, helping other people in such conditions is, is I, I, I don't have the words. It really is the most emotional thing ever. So let's take a look at the some of the logistics um, of why or, or how we were able to make this happen. You mentioned that we were sourcing generators throughout Europe uh, and then bringing them to Ukraine. How exactly was... Was United Hatsala able to pull that off? Guerrilla style, just like <laughs> everything in United Hatsala is. Because when you reach out to the factories that make generators, they say, sure, no problem. We'll take your order supply in four or five months because of the demand. And unfortunately, in four or five months, there won't be a need for these generators anymore. And uh, guerrilla style, we just sent out our volunteers to Moldova, to Poland, Slovakia, um, uh, Hungary, um, Romania, with vans and said, go out and start shopping. Literally, you find one here, put it on the van. Another one there, put it on the van. And that's how we managed to accumulate a way over 100 generators just for last week. And as we speak now in recording this podcast, we're, we're in the process now of, of, of acquiring another batch of another 100, 150 generators that are, are, are hopefully going to arrive during the week. And, and be distributed out through the cities of Ukraine. And we're not doing it in one city. We've, uh, on, on my trip last week, we, we were out in, uh, in Kiev and uh, Uman and, and Belatserkov and in other villages that I honestly can't remember all of their names in the villages in between in these areas um, that are literally off the grid. So how many, how many villages were you at, even without the names? The- I, I think it was a total of about 10 villages, okay. plus the three big cities there. Um, and, and our teams there, and we didn't give out all of them, obviously we just went to make sure to lay the infrastructure there, but our teams there on the ground now are working. I just got my, uh, WhatsApp, uh, pictures this morning from the teams from their distribution this morning. And it, it really is, it, 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 it really is amazing. It really is amazing. How many, uh, how many volunteers are putting this all together? So our team in Ukraine there has about 30 people on the ground now. Mm-hmm. Well, throughout the year, they live there, they operate there, and and they're they're performing the day to day missions. And between, they're doing this uh, generator project. Um, and at peak, they'll uh, they'll hire local uh, workers. 
to help with, you know, with the trucks. Our volunteers don't usually drive around in trucks. So we're hiring trucks. We're hiring we're local We're more workers. on the ambulances thing. Yeah, we're more on the ambulance uh, side. But uh, we're hiring local workers, trucks to do the distribution. We're going to get out to Dnieper, to Kharkiv, um, to Odessa. Uh, unfortunately, this morning we just got news from uh, Dnieper of a massive missile attack on Dnieper with more than 20 people killed there. Um, and it, it doesn't seem to be uh, uh, with, with no end in sight. So we're probably going to continue this mission as long as needed. Right. And that's, uh, that's again, that's something which I think because we have the network there um, already in place. And I know we have a warehouse um, in, in Uman and Uzgorod. Uh, so we can bring the the generators in. We have a place to store them safely. And I know that's one of the problems as well is when people send things, they send money or they send donations. Or they don't know exactly things, where it's going. They, that's we, to put it lightly. <laughs> yeah, we, our ground rule was we're giving out to people as long as we can do it personally, directly, and see that no one is abusing it right. and that it's really going to the right cause. Um, another thing is is that... We don't exactly disclose where our warehouse is because um, uh, generators in the market in Ukraine now are traded like weapons. That's because of the grave need there. So we really have to, for the safety of our volunteers and for the safety of the generators, uh, we really sort of keep it as a black ops on the location of where the generators are kept and when they're going out and the and the motorcades of the trucks that are taking the, the generators to the endpoints to the communities. Um, they're also with security, unfortunately, so that they won't be stolen or, or hijacked on the way. Right. No, no. It sounds no one would imagine the generators would be uh, such a uh, thing to secure. But let me tell you, being there on the ground, experiencing it firsthand, you really understand. Right, I'm sure these things are, are big hot items on the black market, also. Absolutely. So that's going to obviously increase the the risk and and the price and and everything else that's going on as well. Because if it is something that's needed and you can't, you're saying you can't get it through regular channels, or you can only put in an order and get it four or five months later, uh, which is not helpful. People need it now. They're going to be you know big black market items as well. Um, and it's interesting, like uh, you know, what you see what what becomes kind of the currency in 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 wartime locations. I know. Yeah, at the beginning, at the beginning of the war, war was something else. At the beginning of the war, the biggest currency was tourniquets. Tourniquets. We we brought thousands of tourniquets to use them as as um currency to get through uh um uh what do you call them? Customs uh, barricades border, border. Uh, barricades on the roads in Ukraine. Oh, checkpoints and things. Checkpoints yeah. Um, in order to do our rescue missions, and we were having, we have ambulances in Ukraine operating, and and the going currency back then was tourniquets, was buying diesel fuel for the military vehicles for the army. We literally were gassing up tanks. I remember we spoke about this in in yeah, previous, in one of the previous uh, episodes. episodes. But yeah, the so the going currency now is generators. Wow. Uh, so you were doing some uh, some terrific work uh, there last week. Okay, so there was a apparently there's another highlight which which I saw pictures of and, and heard the story of, but I'd love to get your personal opinion because you were the one actually there doing the physical digging from what I saw. Yeah, um, there's a story of uh, of a, a person, a Jewish person who was who had passed away and didn't have anyone to do the uh, I, would, I guess we'd phrase it as the the final rites of burial. Uh, in the Jewish faith. And then when you guys heard about it, you ran over 
and, yeah, and so, perform those. So it was, it was actually very interesting and very, very special and emotional as well, because it, it, I mean, being a, a um, Orthodox um, a, a religious Jew, it's, it's very important, you know, to keep our customs and our, 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 our Jewish faith. And, and for us, things that are obvious and we take for granted here is that, you know, you pass away. So, you know, this, we're talking about a 90 plus year old person that passed away and they'll be taken to your, according to your faith, you'll be taken to the funeral home and, and buried in either the Jewish cemetery or the Christian cemetery or the Muslim Christ cemetery or whatever. And, and here we got a call from, uh, from an individual there from, uh, one of the communities there saying that this elderly person passed away, a Jewish person, and that there wasn't anyone there to perform the burial, and therefore they'll be taking him to a, a Christian burial. And and you know this was something that that we we really took to heart, and we stopped everything that we were doing and drove over. We happened to be not far; we were like an hour, hour and a half drive away from uh, from that city, and we drove over there and we came to the Christian funeral home. And there was the workers there of the funeral home and just a few family members. And our team literally walked in and we went over to the pastor there and we introduced ourselves. And he, he open-handedly, I don't know, is that how you say it? With open hands said, please, as, as a believer, as a Christian leader, I understand the importance of, of what you're saying and, and please take over the funeral and we'll provide the logistics all around, no problem. And we pulled out what we call the talit. How do you say that in English? Um, it's a good question. <laughs> it's, the, it's, it's like... Um, how prayer you, shawl. The prayer shawl, the prayer famous shawl. Jewish prayer shawl, the white right. with the black stripes on it. And, 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 and we covered the open casket with it as in the, in the Jewish uh, customs. And we were saying the Psalms. Um, of uh, relating to to the funeral process, and uh, we were able to provide this. It's very important in Jewish customs to uh, to uh, say the Kaddish, which is the last um, uh, prayer um, before before being buried, and to have him carried by uh, having the the casket carried. The pallbearers being Jewish as well. Yeah, the pallbearers being all Jewish and saying psalms all the way through the cemetery into the burial process, covering them up in the in the ground, digging through the frozen, the frozen dirt piles there. I don't know, it must have been minus 15. And I have to say that I know we're all usually busy with with saving lives and and doing everything that has to do with life and life and life. And for a moment there, I'm no rabbi or, or any, you know, some sort of religious um um, figure, yeah. figure, <laughs> but it just felt that it was such a special moment there, a human moment, a human moment to provide this 90 some year old person who was a Holocaust survivor and whatever, and lived in Ukraine through his whole life and went through this war and everything to provide him with a, with the Jewish burial, a very, very special moment. According to his faith. And I understand the, the person's wife was, was uh, incredibly thankful as well uh for having her husband her late husband uh receive the proper burial and the proper rights uh according to his faith yes yes she was she was emotional even even the pastor the pastor there was uh it was it, I, how do i even explain it he was like i don't know not grateful emotional he was he really really as a religious figure 
he could really understand and value what just happened in front of his uh, in, in front of his eyes there he himself said that that this was something that he had not seen on, uh, done like this and and it was really special for him as well so it sounds like you were you were uh making emotional moments uh, wow all, all around wow um, wow both with helping save lives and providing heat and electricity uh, as well as helping someone find uh, their final resting place. It really, I mean, reflecting on it on the flight back, I mean, even just getting to the flight was like, uh, uh, you know, there's no flights into Ukraine, so we had to land in, in Moldova and 10-hour drive. And it gave me a lot of time to reflect on the way back, to reflect on those few days that we were there and see how we shouldn't take things for granted. We walk into our home, we turn on the light, we turn up the heating to 68 or put it down to 66 because it's too hot uh, or too warm in the house. And, and we look at our kids and, and cuddle them up in bed at night and, and, and we just take everything for granted. And when you go out to places like that and you look at people that are people just like us and kids are kids. And elderly people are elderly people, and and we just take things for granted, and it really makes you think and say, maybe we shouldn't take these things for granted at all, and appreciate, appreciate what we have, appreciate our families, appreciate our, our, our modernization, appreciate not being in a war zone and being victims of a war zone. All right. So count your blessings. Uh, count your blessings, I guess, is the, oh, yeah. the takeaway here. Oh, yeah. That's all the time we have for today. Dove, thank you so much for sharing this uh, this experience. Um, it sounds absolutely mind-blowing. Um, and we apologize for all those who it wasn't talking about calls and lights and sirens and and and, and stopping bleeding or zebras or whatever, but... It was still real-life really, rescues. It, it was a real, real-life rescues. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys.